Hey, everybody, and welcome to 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I am your host, Andrea Pagnosi, and I am also a career empowerment coach who is fiercely dedicated to getting everyone in 2022 realizing their true career potential. Today, as we are wrapping up the month of November, we've been talking to a myriad of people who just really want to invest in self, whether that is in a corporate environment as a leader, whether that is an individual that is still trying to get promoted or pivot their career to something else. And today we're going to talk to our entrepreneurs a little bit. The guest that I have for you is one that can definitely speak from true experience in so many ways. I think from an entrepreneurial standpoint, but also from a business standpoint, because our guest started out as an individual in the financial services background, if you will. And we'll talk a little bit more specifically to her background in a second, but she had 20 years of experience owning and operating car dealerships. And she is female and I love it. She's fiercely passionate about understanding people's corporate why and really infusing that into the company and increasing employee and client engagement. We are thrilled to have Jill Delitsky on 52 Weeks. Jill, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Our entrepreneurs are wrapping up a year that has been a little volatile. (laughs) We're heading into a recession or we're kind of in the midst of it. We've been in the midst of it for the last year. Typically a recession, according to financial advisors, usually lasts about 18 to 24 months. So we've got some headway to go. Companies are starting to lay off. We're reading more about that. As a business owner yourself, historically, I'm sure you've experienced some of the weather that we're starting to experience. So I think you're going to be a great insight to our entrepreneurs that may be ending the year in a place that they didn't foresee in January. I asked everybody starting this program, 52 weeks, let's start with an abundance mindset. And some people are ending the year wanting to find the silver lining. So I'm hoping that you can help our listeners today. Absolutely. Let's start out by hearing a little bit about how you've arrived at today, specifics about your background. Sure. I graduated college and I had heard a speaker come my senior year that She was a financial analyst in equity research on Wall Street. And I just became fascinated with her and decided that's what I wanted to do. So I got a job uh, actually right out of college at Credit Suisse First Boston. And believe it or not, what got me that job were my high school typing skills because I took a job as a secretary because I just wanted to get my foot in the door and then quickly moved up to an associate and spent in total about 10 years on Wall Street, both on what they call the buy side and the sell side. So both working for investment banks and working on the client side for money management companies. And then actually I worked at Microsoft for a couple of years as a financial analyst in Seattle. My family always owned and operated car dealerships. My grandfather started post-World War II. He's the great American dream story came from nothing and right place, right time, really entrepreneurial. And he started car dealerships. And my brother got involved with my father right out of college. And I never even considered it. Just, I guess, partially being a female, my parents were divorced. So I didn't grow up with the constant talk about the business around the dinner table. And 
I was living my life and, and never considered it. But my brother called me when we were in Seattle and I was working for Microsoft. I was newly married. And he said, you know, why don't you consider coming back home? Dad's going to retire and you can run the financial side of the business and and we can do this together. And so I came back with my rose colored glasses on. I hadn't been home since I was 18 and I was 30 and it was rough. Uh, family businesses are are <laughs> not for the weak-minded. It, they are a very tough slog. And uh, we had our ups and downs. And we ended up separating from my father just in business. Personally, things are have always been fine. Um, but he wasn't ready to retire. And we weren't nearly ready to take over, yet we thought we were. And um, at one point, he told us it was time to go row our own boat. And he was, there's a dealership he wanted to close because it was undercapitalized and had negative net worth. And he said to us, if you can make a go of it, great. And if not, you're on your own. And so we did, we went off and made a go of it. And then the recession hit in 2008. And those were some really dark days. I had two toddlers and, you know, business that was teetering. And my father also had some trouble with his businesses and he finally decided to retire. There was a lot of financial engineering that happened and we ended up taking over his business 60 miles away from ours and taking on a tremendous amount of debt in the process. And it was from there, we had to make a decision about how we were gonna run it. So we moved from really running things like a mom and pop operation to putting a lot of operational controls in and professionalizing the business. and. We then expanded, so we had two Hyundai dealerships, and then we purchased a Chevrolet dealership about four years ago, and we opened a used car store, and we opened a related finance company where we underwrite the loans, and we have um, about a $6 million loan portfolio on those loans. So fast forward to the pandemic and teenagers at home, and one of my teenagers really struggling, and she looked at me one day and said, Mom, you're not living your authentic life it hit me. <laughs> it hit me that that she was right. And the time had come and 20 years had served me well. I learned lots of life lessons. I was able to get into a very good financial position, but it was time for change. So I had used a business coach myself for 10 years and had just such a wonderful life-changing experience through that. And people had always said to me, you've missed your calling. You should be in counseling or coaching or something. So here I am going through the IPEC certification process to become a business coach. Wonderful. And congratulations to you for making that decision. That's a big leap. I know that there are a lot of, as we said, entrepreneurs who are facing not quite the recession that we faced in 2008, that maybe ending the year, as I mentioned at the start of the program, not quite in the business planning phase that they thought they would be. I look to business coaches myself throughout my career, and that is also the reason why I became a coach is that I was so inspired by what I had experienced. And I had hired one much like yourself during lean years and strong years. So no matter what, I always had that sort of support hold that was there was no skin in the game. It wasn't a boss. It wasn't a mentor on the job. It was somebody that was outside of the place of business. How valuable do you think that was as an entrepreneur, especially where you had the uniqueness of doing business with your family? I, I don't know if I'd be here right now if I didn't use a business coach. And I don't even mean from this perspective of training to be a business coach, but I, I don't think that 
I would have had this 20 year run. I don't think my life would have evolved the way it is because when I first found this business coach, actually a fellow car dealer saw me at a conference and said, what's wrong? And I just spewed everything that was wrong over a piece of pizza. Like my life is terrible. Our business is failing. The recession is here. Like I just went on and on and on. And he said, you need to call Rob Berkeley. And he was a coach, uh, very sadly passed away. Um, but in uh, Martha's Vineyard and Naples, half the year in each. And I live in Connecticut. And within a week, I was in Martha's Vineyard with him and just crying and a mess. And within 24 hours, he had a program called Vision Day, where you spend a full day with him. And within 24 hours, I had a plan. My energy had completely shifted. And I was ready to go enact the plan. And the first part was going back and talking to my brother, who's my partner, about how we were going to divide our roles so that we weren't stepping on each other's feet. And my brother essentially took on the CEO role and I took on the operational role, which is what I wanted at the time. I wanted to be the one to be doing the thing um, because I felt like there's a lot of operational lifting to be done that I had the skill set to do. It was just the turning point. I, so I really credit that with our success. Through him, I got introduced to a world of people that have better energy than the people that I was used to spending time with. His wife was also a coach and she ran a, a female roundtable group. And so I met women through that. And it really changed the trajectory of my life in many, many ways. And now you have the chance to pay it forward. So that's awesome. Yes. That's, that's a big component of 52 weeks of empowerment as well. As a financial advisor coming into a situation where, as you had mentioned, father's business wasn't doing what it, he felt it should be doing financially, probably seeing that in many of the corporate experiences that you had, the highs, the lows. Unpack for me a little bit about, as an entrepreneur, when you don't have that bubble above you, like a parent company that's like able to move some assets around or sell off businesses and acquire others, how do you make a difficult year not look good on paper? I'm not asking anybody to fudge any numbers, but what I'm asking right. is how do you make light of it and learn from it as you plan for the business forward? Do you just cut and run? I know it's different for everybody, but what are some of the decisions that you consider, especially from a financially minded person? What you want to do in life, you should take an accounting course. Everyone should understand how a profit and loss statement works and how a balance sheet works. And so that would be my first bit of advice. I know it's, it's not emergency advice, like, you know, the house is on fire, but it's definitely foundational advice. And so I think if there are entrepreneurs out there, whether they own a yoga studio or they own a company with 200 people, I'm sure there are many online courses you could take. You don't have to go to a major university, but I think it's really important to understand how an income statement flows to a balance sheet flows to a cash flow statement. And then I think it's really important to understand what the right makeup of revenue and expenses are. So if you're running a yoga shop, let's say, just playing on that example, I'm sure there are organizations that produce uh, like a model financial statement for, for yoga shops. So if they say personnel expense should only be 20% of your revenue, let's say, you have to make sure you stick to that discipline. 
That's important. And that's where people get in trouble because they say, oh, I really need this extra person. But you're not really thinking about what the ramifications on your income statement are to adding that next extra person. And it's really important when you add somebody to back into then how much more revenue do I need to generate to pay for this person? So I think that's where people get in trouble, particularly entrepreneurs, is just that day-to-day tactical discipline of you know, revenue and expense management and, and understanding it deeply, regardless of what kind of business you're in. So that would be my first piece of advice. And then, you know, the second piece is that if you are now in the hot seat, you're in a recession, things have shifted. I know it might sound a little glib, but the first thing is to really take a deep breath and center yourself and remember that you're not in danger. And the reason I say that is because I've lived it. I've lived both ways. I've lived being so anxious that it's hard to sleep at night and you're yelling at your kids. You're just falling apart. And I've lived it the other way where I've been able to maintain a sense of calm. You do not make your best decisions when you're in that heightened state. And so I think the more that you can remind yourself that none of this is life-threatening, there's always a way out when it's a financial problem. There's always a way out. It is the best place to be in. And then the third piece, what really helped us in the recession when we needed capital was having good relationships with your lenders, if you have any, your local bank, your credit union, and then not taking no for an answer. So they may say, this is our policy. Okay, but can you do this? Can you do this? And and keeping on top of them and, and really pushing it. One of the things my business coach used to say is never let a good crisis go wasted. I've taken that really, that message to heart, and I use it in a lot of aspects in my life. But I think the question always is, how can this crisis actually help you? And if you can live a little bit in that space and think about how it can help inform a shift in your business, even if it's closing your business or selling your business, but to stay in a calm body and mind so that you have the full access of your mental capacity in order to make those decisions. Um, and again, I know what it's like not to be in a calm body and mind. I've been there. It's, <laughs> it's brutal and it's not a good place to be. What I also noted when I opened my business was my accountant said, don't get sucked into this mentality that everything when you're building your business is a write-off. Do you really know what the definition of a write-off is? So I agree with you when it comes to the mistakes we make as entrepreneurs early on is that we don't really understand the definitions of things or what things cost. So we're kind right. of in this game of guess how much it costs. And there's a slippery slope if you don't have a good savings to invest or you don't have investors to be able to, to weather some of that cost. So that's sage advice. One of the things I wanted to ask you further about what you just said was if somebody is an entrepreneur listening right now, that's great advice. But if you are somebody thinking to make the leap into entrepreneurship and you've been setting the course towards that in 2022 and you've got your ducks in a row and you're now like, oh my God, we're in a recession. Oh my God, the interest rates have gone up. Now I've got to stay where I am. It's not necessarily so. Tell us a little bit about your experience with regard to the 2008 session. Well, 
we were juggling, we were juggling cash to make payroll. And it's a really hard place to be. And at the same point, our bank came to us and told us they were exiting the auto business and that we needed to find a new lender. It was, there were no new lenders lending. And so we were teetering. We borrowed money from a family member. It was a really hard thing to do and really scary. We have since paid back all that money. We tightened down on our financial controls. You know, we had to lay people off, which is not an easy thing to do. And like I said before, we really worked with our banks to come up with a solution. And they met us ultimately where we needed to be and helped us through it. And so it's just one decision at a time, one day at a time, one step in front of the other. I don't think there's a magic bullet. I just think that it's staying clear-headed and making that next best decision that you can make. Back to just being an entrepreneur, whether you're starting out, whether it's the recession, whether you've existed, I think one of the things that you have to be careful of is avoiding the allure of the new shiny object. Mm -hmm. So there's always something someone's marketing to you that's going to help catapult your business. That's going to push you to the moon, right? They're going to get you X number of leads. They're going to look through your expenses and save you 20%. None of that is necessary. It's like, let's not look at for the new shiny object. Let's look at our basic processes and see if we can do them better. And an example is maybe somebody says you need a CRM, a customer relationship management system. You very well may need one at some point, but are you doing the activities now that you would then replicate in that system and then have the system do extra for you? So, you know, you could have a literally an old fashioned Rolodex system with index cards in it. That's what we started out with before there was a fancy CRM and really perfect those processes. So I think there's no fancy, shiny silver bullet in any of it. It's just a lot of elbow grease and it's doing the basic processes really, really well. That takes practice. It takes failure sometimes. Right. And to me, it's not failure if you tried. You made Absolutely. a goal, but you didn't fail at all. Right. You've only failed if you don't try. So I appreciate that insight because you have lived through the modern times, great recession, really. Right. 2008. How do you simplify? I want to piece together a little bit of what you just said. Probably entrepreneurs out there that are wondering, hey, do I start this business? And you just said something that I think is extremely valuable that I wish somebody had said to me a few years back when I started my, I thought I had to have bigger, I had to have better, I had to differentiate, I had to invest in all these things. Your example of the CRM, I wasn't asked to buy one of those. I used an Excel spreadsheet, but I was asked to make critical decisions early on that I now know I didn't need to. So can you piece together how an entrepreneur at this point in time of the year, looking ahead to starting a business or a complex year can simplify their business and make it more manageable as they start out? Yeah, I think it's like, what is the minimal acceptable product to deliver? Like, what do you need to really get started? And what can you put aside? And we, I know we talked about it when we met before, but really leading with your why, like being crystal, crystal clear on your why 
and not straying from that. So one of the things we did in our business every year was before we did annual planning, we would review our why and make sure that that was still our why. I'll give you the example of our business. We really focused for many years on people that had credit challenges. At some point, Hyundai came out with a high-end line of cars, and we had to really think about how that fits in with our why of helping people that had credit challenges. The decision we made at the time, it's since morphed somewhat, but at the time was to not really change what we're doing. And that we sold this high-end car, great, but that wasn't going to be our focus because you can't be everything to everybody all the time. What is your why? What is niche that you're in? And how are you going to stay focused on that? I think, again, that minimal acceptable product that you're going to, to launch, and I don't mean that in terms of quality or mission or vision, but like not overcomplicating things, right? My grandfather, God rest his soul, used to always say, like the car business is really the same now as it was then. And it's true. It's about a relationship between two people. It's about finding out what the person's needs are and then meeting those needs. And all the rest is just bells and whistles. So like, how are you really going to focus on that piece of it and serve the customer and not worry about all the other bits of it? So I think that's really important. Another piece of sage advice he used to always say that my brother and I both lived by was, you know, you want to do the basics of your job every day. And then one additional thing, one additional thing to move your business forward. And so I think if you can really focus on that, obviously you're not working 365 days, but let's call it 325 days. You've done 325 additional things to move your business forward. And so my brother and I used to look at each other sometimes at three o'clock in the afternoon after we just had a big aha moment about how to move the business forward and say, okay, we can go home. This is done today. We've done what we had to do plus that one additional thing. So we kind of lived by that advice that, you know, dates back to the 1940s. What I love about your story, uh, one of the reasons why I brought you here is because you did something that people are often told never to do, which is to go into business with your family. Don't do business mm-hmm. with your family. Don't do business with your friends. Always told that. My mother always said that. And she had a family business, but she was like a mm. cashier for her father's store as a teenager. She didn't go in and try to financially re- resurface the business like you did and your brother as well. What I love about it is what you said is sticking to your why is the main stay of why you're your business did well in that situation. It wasn't everybody had their own why. You all were, your core was your why. You said something when we spoke last that I would love for you to examine a little bit for our listeners. You said, if the core is going well, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. If the core is strong and the why is there, you can take steps that matter that still move the business along. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Our core statement, our why statement, was that we're solution providers, not product pushers. And we believe everybody deserves to drive a nicer, newer car. So 
at the core of that is really being a solution provider. Our whole idea around everything we did was how can we provide a solution to either our customer or our employee? An example of that is a lot of times our employees would say, well, this customer is a pain in the neck. They're just looking for something for free. And I would simplify that all the time and say, you know, how much does this thing cost that they want free? A $35 oil change. I said, you know what? I'd rather be done than right. Let's let the customer win. Our mission statement is that we're solution providers. They came to us with a problem. We need to provide a solution. I think having a very simple mission allows you to take out the noise of everything you do. And it, it gives you an anchor or like a beacon around which to make a decision. I'm always going to err on the side of living within that mission. And, you know, if you do that, and if you're public about it, believe me, your employees and your customers will point out when what you're doing is not in line with that mission. Get emails that would start, you are not a solution provider. And then it's like, okay. And your sales will reflect that you're not meeting the needs either. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I had a guest on a, about a month ago. Her name is Rochelle Jess, and she helps women coaches build their business specifically. Mm. She was in human resources and organizational development, much like myself and big businesses like you've worked in as well. And she was saying to me that big businesses, I mean, they have their credo on the wall. They have their vision and their mission and everybody knows it. it's in all their commercials and but smaller businesses are afraid to get that specific because they're mm -hmm. going to shut out opportunity. There's this fear that if I micro niche and I really drill down what my mission is, I mean, some, some people I've asked small business owners, what's your mission? And they're like, well, and it's this long winded discussion. So right. how important do you think that really was when it came to rebuilding the business? Uh, hugely important because people need to know that they're going to work for something they believe in. And, you know, ours was a small business, was a small business with 200 employees. So there's a lot of, a lot of heavy hum human resource capital heavy. It was on the wall. It was on their shirts. It was on the ball caps they wore. It was on the technician's uniforms. And every interaction I had with them, I would repeat it and reinforce it. So we would celebrate birthdays monthly. And in those, I would point out, I just want to point out Steve this month. I want to point out a solution he provided. I got an email from a customer that said, Steve went the extra mile. And I would talk about why and repeat the mission on the wall. So I think the other thing that's really important with the why or that mission is that you get tired of it long before anyone else does. It needs to be repeated over and over. It needs to be part of your vernacular in every discussion that you have with people. And I understand the fear of being too niche. And I actually agree. You don't want to launch a business in the recession that only coaches, my daughter's playing high school football, the, the only coaches female football players in the Northeast. You, you're really going to reduce your market size. And at the same time, the way you can have a niche is more around your mission statement. So if your mission statement is, is I support women and girls 
who are breaking boundaries that were originally established by men. Now you're, you still have this mission statement. And so you're widening that, but you still have a niche. It's just a wider niche. You have to make sure that you have some why behind it. And I personally highly recommend Simon Sinek, mm-hmm. who did really seminal work in it. In the, and there's a TED Talk, it starts with a why, and he wrote a book. And that's really where I got most of my, you know, nothing's original. That's where I was. <laughs> okay. I quote him all the time on my blogs and my writing, right. everything. So he's, he, you're in good company there. If there is, a pearl that you think ending this year as an entrepreneur should be, what is your pearl of wisdom to tell entrepreneurs about evaluating a year that may not have gone exactly the way they envisioned and to take stock of that towards the future? Listen, when you're an entrepreneur, nothing goes the way you envisioned ever. And whether it's at the end of the year, the beginning of the year, the middle of the year, I, I think it gives you an opportunity to grow comfortable living in that space. Because in order to be successful as an entrepreneur, and I don't mean financial success or market success, I mean life fulfillment. In order to be fulfilled as an entrepreneur, you need to grow comfortable with being uncomfortable all the time. Because I think as an entrepreneur, we're so tied, emotionally tied to what happens in our business. So if a customer's upset, right, we take it personally. If an employee is upset, we take it personally. It's different than if you work for a big corporation. I think you need to really be okay with that. And if you are not, I mean, look, there's always some discomfort. Nobody loves it. But if you're not, it may not be the right path for you. And it isn't for everybody. So while this year may not be ending the way that you expected it, it's just a time to take stock, to say, what would I do differently? And I would even recommend, we did it every single year, taking a full day to go through that process. Like get taking yourself somewhere, check into a hotel, go sit in a hotel lobby if, if you don't want to pay for a hotel room. And really plan out a full day of planning for yourself. You can bring a thought partner with you. If you have somebody that works with you, you can bring one of your lead employees with you. I just think it's important to do a a full, complete recap of the prior year, what went right, what went wrong, to look at your mission, vision, value statements again, make sure they still apply to you. And then to really set out your goals, uh, important, smart goal fashion, and make them reasonable and break them out into quarterly goals and activity goals and make sure they have value against them that you're going to do for this year. But it's important to take that time. No matter how busy you are, no matter how much revenue you think you're going to lose from that one day out, that planning is so important. I always think of that Stephen Covey four quadrant. And especially when we're entrepreneurs, we never focus on what's important and non-urgent. And this is the work that's important and non-urgent. And so the single best thing you can do for your business going into the new year is to take that time to really plan. I couldn't agree more. I think that's something that I do ritualistically every week. I mm. 4.30 on Friday 
and I plan for the week ahead. What have I learned? What have I done well? What do I need to stop doing? Is that whole stop, start, continue? Yeah. I love that you mentioned Stephen Covey's four blocker because that is absolutely, you want to move your business up into the right. There's going to be months that you're not there and you've made some decisions and taken some risks and you've got to keep taking risks. If you, you have to, <laughs> and you have to be comfortable taking risks. Absolutely. How did you get comfortable taking those risks? How did you make those decisions? I think it's like anything. It's like a lot of at-bats and at first something feels really lousy and yet you just get up and take it again. And there's nothing like experience. It's like that there's 10,000 hours, right. That you put into something. Uh, I'm on the board of a nonprofit and I do some speaking. And when I first started, my predecessor said to me, we're going to prepare you for the speaking. We're going to, well, I said to him, I don't need the prep. I'm okay. I have it. And then they would say to me, well, why can you do it? And I said, because I did it all the time. And so it's just those at bats. Like when I first started speaking in front of the employees, I babbled, maybe I overshared. I didn't have the messaging quite on point, but over time you take your licks and learn what to do. And so I think there's nothing like at bats and it's just about getting up again. It's the same thing we teach our kids. It's all a learning process and whatever you're learning may not be clear today, even when people are listening to this podcast, why you need to learn it, but you're exactly where you need to be right now listening to this because it's five months, two years from now, it's going to make sense to you. Right. And if you love learning, then there's nothing better than being an entrepreneur because there's an ability to learn every single day. And if you take failures in that vein and have that kind of mental shift around what it means to fail, I think it's much more rewarding. Absolutely. And that's the key. If you're happy owning your business right now and it is suffering because of whatever, Know that the first year is always difficult. The first few years may not even be profitable. But if you love what you're doing, that will show. And if you stick to your why very closely, that will also show. And the money will come. It will come, provided it's got a clear message, got clear quality product, and that the customer is always right. <laughs> right, right. And that the original modeling is sound, right? That's, That's, right. The other piece. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I've learned a lot today. I know that you are in the throes of starting to plan for your business uh, in coaching. Where do you see yourself in a year? Oh, That's so interesting. So my initial goal going into IPAC was to just keep a really open mind and not to not do it with the end result of to have X number of clients or to grow a business of this size, but where my interest lies is helping people in family businesses. And the reason why is that I think there's a real opportunity. Family businesses can be absolutely wonderful. And it's almost like the word is as bad as saying car dealer or lawyer, right? Like people hear family business and they're oh. There's an opportunity in a family business, I think, as a coach to help both heal a family and heal a business. And if if it's functioning well, 
it can really create something magical for that entire family and for generations to come. And yet people are suffering in family businesses and they don't see a way out because this border blending between home life and work life is more significant in a family business than anywhere else. So that's that's really my goal is to give back what I've learned from my coach and to help other family businesses thrive. That's wonderful. I can remember being in business in a corporation, uh, 2009, 2010, where people were made the decision to close their businesses. It's very hard to go back to corporate environment once you've led your own business. And Mm -hmm. it's not that you can't do it or that it isn't the right thing for you. There are coaches to help with that as well. But I love the fact that that's going to be your focus area because I have a feeling that many of the people who are listening today would benefit from working with somebody like you. And so her information is coming soon. Um, I hope uh, that you uh, have gotten out Uh, from the experience today as much as we have. Thank you very much for having me. I want to thank all of our listeners today. If you are a business entrepreneur who is facing some adversity or looking ahead to starting a business in 2023, and that's what 2022 was all about, take the leap, take the risk, make it happen. You'll be glad you did. We're glad you stopped by today. We'll be here next week. Same time, same place, even more power.